Welcome to Sparkplug, where we talk to smart people working at the intersection of business and technology. Brought to you by Snowshoe, your smarter loyalty leader. Sparkplug is happy to come into December this year with Daniel Eisenman, who is a senior principal in visioning and branding at Stantec. He has an architectural background and he designs beautiful experiences that delight shoppers and customers of merchants of all sizes. Daniel has insights to share with us about experiential design and transforming retail spaces into welcoming environments. So welcome, Daniel. Thanks so much for joining us today, Daniel. Do you want to kick things off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Obviously, my name is Daniel Eisenman. I'm a senior principal at Stantec Visioning Brands and Experiences, or for short, Vibe, Boulder, Colorado. And I lead a group of multidisciplinary designers in architecture, planning, landscape, interior design, branding, environmental graphic signage, wayfinding, industrial design. Basically, uh, the full gamut from a design standpoint, and we approach projects from, uh, from an ideation and creativity, and we use design as a tool to convey our ideas. And most of the work that we do is highly public environments. Uh, they have a lot of people embedded in them, whether it's an urban sort of district or a shopping center or an arena or sort of an airport, perhaps, people that require a lot of curated environment around them. That's where we specialize. Therefore, that's how many of these disciplines that I mentioned are required. See the world in a way similar that the general population does. You know, they don't see it in disciplines. They see experiences, they see environments, and that's where we create. Fantastic. And can you give us an example or a few examples of some of the businesses or facilities that you work with? Sure. So over the years, we've probably touched about every category of project except jails. That's maybe the one that we haven't touched to just give you know, some specific examples, we're just finishing or about to almost finish, really. Gregor Square mixed use project for the Colorado Rockies here in downtown Denver next to Coors Field, which is a one city block mixed use project organized around a content plaza. It's Denver's first outdoor environment to come and celebrate. Surrounding this plaza, you have a hotel, condominiums, office, 80,000 square foot of retail, primarily food and beverage entertainment. And then the content plaza itself, which is a place for concerts, events, tech talks, symphony, movies, anything can happen in there. We plan a number of events around it. So content is where we spend a lot of our time and we think that content is the reason why people go to an environment. They want to be urged, they want to learn, they want to participate, they want to be part of a community. And uh, all in a great setting that offers all the all the right qualities for, from input. So that's one of the projects we're working on right now. We're working for the San Antonio Spurs, a master plan district around their arena. About a year ago, we finished some of the design for the New York Islanders hockey arena and their entertainment district. Working on some uh, affordable housing projects in Detroit as well that require sort of a lot of thinking. Large complex projects, a lot of acreage. Working right now on a phenomenal project in the island of Holbosch in Mexico in the Yucatan Peninsula, where we're creating probably what's going to be the most sustainable resort in the history of this planet. That's how high we're aiming and are creating a new destination within Mexico, unlike anything. Wow. Well, in that description of your clients and the environments that you service, you talked about a place nurturing us. So one thing that I know over the last couple of years as the pandemic hit, people left facilities. I mean, I work in a probably 30-story building here, and there's probably 27 people in the whole damn building. So 
you know, people have left physical facilities, so that must have been a challenge for you. What were the hardest challenges when we went into lockdowns for your kind of work? To me, as a design leader with a staff, the biggest challenges were collaboration. You can't forget the effectiveness of the casual conversation in the studio. Seeing somebody's computer or striking sort of a casual conversation in the hall or in the lunchroom kind of thing and solving a problem quickly. So to me, that was a challenge, that collaboration. Most good design happens as a result of good accidents, we call them, where you trace a line on a paper, and then all of a sudden somebody saw you trace a line and it said, oh, hey, it's fact uh, something interesting, right? So those things are not happening as a result of the computer. It's really tough from that standpoint. Today is uh, one of the first days that I have, I would say 90% of the staff in my office is here today, and I'm feeling really energized. I think all this is for the good. I think our... our of work were pretty boring. They got really boring. They got sort of non-conducive to experimentation, non-conducive to collaboration. And I think this is going to push everybody to sort of rethink how they see the world and how they spend their days. Absolutely. And what has the experience of working with healthcare facilities during these times been like? So my company, Santec, is a very large company. We have a 22,000 person company that, you know, if it cut a section of the earth, Stantec touches everything from the atmosphere to the core of the earth. So we have a lot of disciplines that work in multiple places. The healthcare sector is one specific one of which I touch randomly, primarily on the customer experience. But during the pandemic, we spent a lot of time understanding what was going through people's minds as they having to interact with the hospital as they enter an emergency center or a pandemic center for that matter. Our folks in Chicago created sort of a pop-up hospital in one of the parking garages and in the conference centers. So that all of a sudden added a lot of reality to what our role in the community was. Our healthcare sector was really active from that standpoint. From my standpoint of what I do, the customer experience and the journey of a person traveling in these facilities, the signage, the graphics, the wayfindings, the amenities, the things that you would use in order to protect yourself and not touch or touch or to act accordingly. What was on my mind throughout all this time is making sure that people were acting accordingly and feeling safe in enclosed environments. If you don't have the reminders around you and the amenities and things you need to act accordingly, you don't do it. It's almost the thing when you walk into a restaurant and nobody's wearing a mask. All of a sudden, you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask. But if you walk into a restaurant and the instructions are clear and people are wearing their masks, at least when they're sitting down or in an enclosed environment, when they're walking around and there's hand sanitizers, methods of not touching doors and just pushing them, methods of circulating so that people would flow quickly out of an environment and cut the time that somebody would spend indoors. Those are the things that were on my mind. We produced a number of think pieces along the lines for multiple sectors. One was getting back to healthcare. The reality is that we started with one that was called getting back to social, which was how do we get back to social in a meaningful way where people feel comfortable? And then how do we get back to production? How do we get back to healthcare? How do we get back to education? How do we get back, mm-hmm. right? How do we do this in a thoughtful way? So that's where we spent time during the pandemic on the healthcare side. Wow. (laughs) Well, so let's talk about pathways through a facility since you mentioned them. What's an example of a creative way to move visitors from end to end? Well, to me, the most creative way is making sure they're entertained from A to B. The worst thing that could happen, and this happens to boring cities, is say you're walking in an urban district and you're sort of in that part of the street where there's active storefronts and there's restaurants and people and there's merchandising. And all of a sudden, there's a gap on the street and you keep walking and all of a sudden, that gap on the street that is not active. All of a sudden, you lose the interest in walking and you turn around. 
you didn't get to point B. We're like fish almost. If every five to 10 seconds, there's not something interesting along the way, we lose traction and we go back. So I think it's, you've got to keep people entertained and engaged along the path. Well, I know that in a recent blog post, you mentioned how some malls didn't adjust to omnichannel, didn't improve the customer experience, and therefore weren't competitive. So they saw a decline in customer experience and traffic and sales. And so why did those facilities not adjust, not kind of move into the future? What held them back? A number of things. I think the first one is complacency. It was an industry that got very complacent. An industry that thought sometimes in the early 2000s that they had conquered the world and nothing was going to beat them. The internet showed up and started chipping away slowly, slowly. And these people thought, hey, uh, there's a threat here, but I'm not going to think how I'm going to make my product or my experience better. I don't believe this is going to happen. Sort of a little bit in denial. And before you know it, upwards of somewhere between 70 and 26% of all purchases are going to happen online in the very near future. So these places forgot what mattered to the customer experience. They got complacent and lazy to a certain degree, particularly the big department stores that were reliant on just, hey, put the product there, fill it up, have some mediocre lighting. People will come because we have a lot of stuff here. And that just does not work. That is not engaging. There's a very big difference between shopping and strolling while shopping. I think if you're going to shop and just create a just might as well go online and do it there. It's going to be faster. You're going to get what you want. If not, you're going to go and return it. Versus let's create an experience around it. Let's enjoy the activity of shopping. Let's add more things to it. Let's educate people along the way. Let's enlighten them. Let's wow them. Let's add texture. Let's add music. Let's add art. Let's add a better experience from a product placement standpoint. Let's keep them uh, with a great coffee Let's keep them for a great meal in a great environment because the longer people stay in a place, the longer they'll spend. So that specific element, they forgot. And I think people started sensing that and they're saying, you know, I, there's nothing that engaging there. Back in the day, you know, when we were growing up, your mom would say, hey, maybe you should spend a couple of hours on the mall with your, with your friends. Your mom would not let you do that nowadays. You know, the, your mom doesn't want you to do that because there's nothing for you to do there except consume. So uh, I think the paradigm shifted in the mall, or it's uh, hopefully shifting in the mall, where your primary activity is not necessarily around shopping, but just being, being yourself. Be more in a place, and then you happen to be shopping around it. You know, you happen to, to have that incidental experience. Right. So it should be an experience rather than just a destination for shopping. It should be a full meal deal, so to speak. Yeah, that's exactly right. And shopping centers became a very monocultural environment. When I say monocultural, the only activity you were doing there is just shopping, uh, going to the store and to the next store. You would grab a mediocre slice of pizza and then you would go to the next store. Very monocultural. So life kind of doesn't work that way. That's, that's a pretty narrow-minded environment in my mind. I think life needs to be a little bit more complex and there needs to be more symbiosis between the uses. So uh, I mean, the more uses you add to a shopping district, a shopping environment, the richer it gets, the more successful it is. So what would be a good example, Daniel, of a shopping experience that isn't monocultural? Any great places that we should make sure to visit? Yeah, I love the pedestrian malls. Uh, mostly I live in front of one here on the Pearl Street Mall in Boulder. 
I look down on it. Our office designed it, got 40 years ago when it opened. And it's a very interesting environment because life occurs organically here on the mall. And the mall takes on a lot, a different meaning. It's not just the shopping mall. It's the mall of life here. And all of a sudden surrounding this mall, there's residential, there's offices on the second floors, there's stores on the ground floor. There's sort of an underground layer of basement things that are happening all the way from a sort of a marijuana store or a rare bookstore. And I got to say, there's even a strip club in one of the underground sides of these buildings. So all of a sudden, it's sort of a natural place. And I really enjoy it. And I think people sense that the place itself is uh, full of buskers. There's violinists at lunch. You'll find a little band. You'll find somebody creating a little show. It's almost become a stage for life for anybody to come and do their performance. While at the same time, the great experience of not just shopping, but food and beverage. So all of a sudden, life is happening together here. Other places like it, I would say Third Street Promenade or Fifth Street Promenade, I can't remember. In Santa Monica is another great example. Some of the high streets in Boston, perhaps, are really good examples of that. My favorite shopping street is Schenken Street in Tel Aviv, for example. Sort of a, a really intimate little narrow street with a lot of small traffic of mopeds and cycles and cars and a lot of people, a little park. Places that have more than just one thing. Certainly that's on the urban side of things. Uh, shopping center, there's some really good examples out there. Uh, places that actually are part of the community. They work well. They're connected to a bigger story. And I think those work well as well. Well, so you've mentioned some of the benefits that malls have to work with when it comes to staying relevant. They're near public transportation routes. They have all this space, ample parking, several things in their favor. Are there any other distinctive characteristics that you think malls should take advantage of for the next generation of mall experience? Yeah, I mean, certainly I would categorize malls in three ways. One is a mall that's at a core market, an A market, and it's producing extraordinary sales. Those malls are doing incredibly well. Shopping is up. They're absorbing the market share of these mediocre malls that are closing all over the place. I think we were over-retailed for a long, long time. I'm going to play loosely with some numbers here, but I think the U.S. has 20 plus, 24, 25 square feet of retail per person in Versus, say, Mexico has three versus Europe has seven. So we were overbuilt in retail. We really never needed that much. So some of these B, C-class malls are just going to disappear because they were never meant to be there to begin with. I think there was the overglot that we tend to get in the U.S. in certain things. So that is going to disappear on their own. Those are great sites for redevelopment because of the things you mentioned, Ashley which is there's great infrastructure around it. They tend to be on great corners in the city or next to a freeway. They have great power sources, great access to water. And there's just a lot of land, right? So that allows you to do a lot of things and evolve over time. So so I think there's opportunities for redevelopment. The fundamentals of the market still will play a role. It's not like you can just convert them all and turn it into something else. Whatever the market can absorb, can absorb. What I think is deadly for a mall and what I think is deadly for a city is to turn portions of the mall into an Amazon warehouse. I think the tax revenues for the city are much less than what, say, having a sort of a residential base or an office base there would do. The Amazon warehouse provide nothing from a social standpoint to the fabric of community. It's a job source, which is good and maybe easy to access, but uh, I don't believe it's the best use. I think those warehouses should stay away from urban cores or public spaces, in my mind. There's room for smaller versions of that. So I think there's opportunities. 
malls, they have the opportunity to connect to the urban grid of a city. Some of these malls are islands and they have no streets that meet them. Some of these malls have direct streets that meet them and having that opportunity to grow the urban grid and connect to the mall is sort of a natural thing and that's pretty exciting. I think that's, that every mall that has that opportunity to do that should do that. Mm-hmm. Connect to a bigger system, which is what malls need to survive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Can you speak, Dan, to the different relationships that various generations have with malls? I'm thinking specifically about millennials and Gen Z. Do malls still have a place in their lives? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the convenience factor of a traditional shopping center is amazing. You're looking for a pair of black pants or a red shirt. You're going to go to the mall and try 10 different brands in the course of 45 minutes. You know, you're able to try that much. Online will never give you that. If you're on a mission, you're going to leave the mall with something that you're going to be able to use right away. When it's online, you risk getting the product and it doesn't fit. You didn't like it. The fabric's not right. Came damaged. Uh, hey, Let's go return it or let's go to the mall, go to the store, return it there. I'll try on for reals. So I think the mall still plays a role. We'll still be buying goods and services. I think the convenience factor is amazing. I think the mall still plays a critical role in communities that weather is really inclement, whether it's really hot or it's snowing and people still want to be socializing and be in a place that has a bunch of things to do. So from that standpoint, the mall is still a good alternative. I also think that perhaps not so much for the three of us, but, you know, in a rural community or in a smaller city where there's not a forum downtown per se, like we're the ones we know in, in our cities, the mall plays that role of being the center of community. So I think it has a really major role to play. It just needs to get more interesting so that we actually consider it as a better choice, Right. Right. Well, let's switch gears for a second and talk tech. So over the past few months of doing this podcast, we've heard from a number of tech innovators who are kind of changing the face of brick and mortar. So maybe you could unpack a few of these trends. I mean, we've heard about, for example, contextually aware computer signage in stores that can recognize what somebody has done and give them a digitally presented sign that reflects what they've done. What do you think about that as kind of something that will influence shopping? Uh, I think it's interesting to get ads of things that you're actually interested in. Mm-hmm. Worst, you're getting ads or you're walking on the street on stuff that really doesn't matter to you. <laughs> Absolutely. So I think that's a plus. You know, is it an invasion of privacy? I think we gave that one up a long time ago. And so it feels a little bit weird. It feels like someone's watching you. Yes, somebody is definitely watching you. Somebody is actually targeting you specifically in your needs and what you want. And as a result, you're probably going to become a smarter and better shopper. People are getting more educated before they buy. I think technology is helping that. And by the time you actually make a purchase, you're going to know a lot more and you're going to be a lot more intimate with a product that you're purchasing as a result of technology, right? So the Somni channel and this experience that starts at your house or that starts on your phone walking on the street and you're looking down at a product from that point to the moment you actually make the purchase in a bricks and mortar or online, that customer journey is pretty critical. There is a legitimate customer journey that matters there. And I think we're going to get smarter in that integration between bricks and mortars and technology is where the future lies. I think augmented reality is going to start playing in ways that we just still don't understand how that's going to be. I think that's pretty exciting. I think we're in diapers and augmented reality and its capacity. So the trend is what it is. You can't stop it. People that sort of say, no, no, 
that are resistive, the next generation is going to pick it up no matter what. You better be prepared and creating a multi-channel experience that takes into consideration how you marry uh, clicks and bricks, right? Mm-hmm. How about shopping live stream? So we chatted with shop shops and what they do is they have someone actually in the store, maybe an influencer, maybe a staff member, live streaming, showing the new products, perhaps trying them on, talking about the products, and then people can watch and purchase directly from the live stream. It hasn't hit my radar, but it's really not that different from Airplane Magazine that shows you a gal or a guy in sort of an attire and it gives you which product is each one of them. The Ray-Ban glass is $79.95, you know, go to rayban.com to get them kind of thing. It's just the digital version of that. You click on it and then you actually buy them. Uh, I'm, you know, it's, it's somewhat of a novelty concept, not really in, in my mind, but you know, the fundamentals of retail, no matter what, eyeballs and footfalls, the more eyeballs and footfalls you have in a place, virtual or in-person is what makes it successful. So driving traffic is the, the fundamental here. So wherever that, that you get that done in a meaningful way that people find it sort of comfortable, unobtrusive, pleasant experience, I'm all for it. Right. So thinking of future pleasant experiences, if we could ask you to look at the future, what do you think the future of spaces look like? You know, five, 10 years out, I know things are changing, new buildings are going up. What's changing in both construction and in the kind of physical experience of being in a built environment? I think the biggest game changer for retail, and I'm talking about the urban retail, perhaps even the shopping center later on, but the urban retail is the experience on the sidewalk, the increase of the sidewalk and the disappearance of the car. Things are not going to be car centric in the future. Most of our project, we're not thinking of the car anymore. We're trying to get it out of the way as quickly as possible so that people can actually just stroll and appreciate everything that is unique about the environment that they're in. So when there's no cars, people calm down and they let their kids run and you're able to sort of spend time in different ways. You're able to actually look around. You're not distracted by the coming car. So I think that's a big shift that will affect retail and the storefront experience. I think the integration of more food and beverage along the way is critical. I think shopping centers in urban districts They're reaching upwards of 40, 50% of the storefronts now are more in the food, beverage, and entertainment. I think the retail footprint and the amount of square footage needed is constantly decreasing. You're not going to need as much inventory because inventories are getting really smart. You don't have to have 600 shirts of different sizes in your store. You're actually able to control how much you actually really need and respond. Micromobility and the future of drones and how goods are going to be distributed is going to make a huge impact on that, where instead of having the ground floor experience, put the storefront all the way to the front and then a warehouse in the back, you know, you might start seeing a different uses in the back and the storefront being more of a showroom, uh, hands-on demo type of places, right? I think the blurriness of the indoor-outdoor, I think COVID is going to make a big dent into the storefront and the conditioned spaces. I think we're going to see the blurriness of the storefront and the ability to cross in and out quickly. The cashier experience where you actually have to go and pay in line, that's all going to be gone very soon. You know, we've seen the, the new Amazon models that you just walk out and you get charged. That is the future that eliminates a pretty specific part of a store, right? And one that was heavy in equipment and you have to have a lot of staff. So I think there's some changes happening that are really positive around the space. I think we're going to see a lot more trees, a lot more integration of nature, biophilic spaces as a result of that, because we'll be able to spend more energy on things that matter. 
not worried about things that are not going to matter as much in the future. That's really fascinating. Well, Daniel, we have one last question for you, which is what is your personal mission? And do you have any final words of wisdom for us? Personal mission. I mean, I'm going to go back to my daughters and every day I think of them, they're five and seven. And my personal mission is to create a place in an environment where they want to be growing up and where they want their kids to grow up. I think they deserve better. I think we've done somewhat of a miserable job in a lot of places around our country, around the world, in understanding how future generations are going to interact with space and how they're going to shop and how they're going to get nourished and educate. So that's what's on my mind. We're living in a little bit of apocalyptic times right now. It could be a downer for all of us. So I'm trying to sort of embed humanity and embed a layer of love into the space, a place where people can socialize and appreciate each other and appreciate everything that is unique about their community. I think we like to say here in our office that we aim at the heart of people, at everything we do. And when you create that emotional connection with place, you know, it becomes more meaningful. Thank you. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you for that insight. Really appreciate your perspective. Sure thing. It was a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, uh, Ned and Ashley. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening today to the Spark Plug podcast, Snowshoe.io, your smarter loyalty leader. Spark Plug is a wholly owned property of Snowshoe. All content, copyright, 2021, Spark Plug Media. Mm-hmm.